What a meeting in the air. I tell you what, I'm looking forward to that day when we get to go and meet all of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the air, on the way to be with the Lord. I tell you what, what a day that is going to be. This morning we're returning back to looking at the subject of raising godly children. We started this actually three weeks ago. We started into this uh, and then uh, we preached the first section of this uh, study on raising godly children and then we uh, had to finish for that Sunday and then the next Sunday we had Brother Carsley here uh, from the Edge Christian Camp, which we are looking forward to that, looking forward to the teens going and being a part of that camp ministry. But Brother Carsley and his group was here and then last Sunday was graduation. Sunday, and of course we focused the message on the graduates and on preparing to step out into life. And so finally, three weeks later, we get to return to this subject of raising godly children. Now you might say, Pastor John, isn't this something you know that we ought to have just a specified class for and just allow parents of children to come to the class instead of preaching it to everybody on a Sunday morning? Well, actually, I think that these truths and principles are something that all Christians ought to be familiar with, that all Christians ought to understand, that all Christians ought to be able to explain and enunciate whenever someone asks you, what is your opinion about what the Bible says about raising children? Because although you may not have children in your home at this time, maybe you've not had them yet, or maybe you uh, have moved beyond that point, you will still encounter people who will want to know, what does the Bible say about raising children? And you know people who have children, and so it's it's good for us as a church to study what does the Bible say. It's good for us as a church to understand what we believe as a church concerning raising godly children. Uh, the group sang the song, What a Meeting That'll Be. I did not know that's the song that they were going to sing. But boy, as they were singing that song, I thought, man, how, does, how good this ties in. You're like, hold on, how does that tie in? Well, you know, whenever you look in the Word of God at the parable of the sower, in the parable of the sower, Jesus is talking about sowing the seed. And the seed that he's talking about sowing is the Word, the Word of God, the Word of God that brings salvation. And in the parable, he said that the sower goes out to sow. And as he sows the seed, some of the seed falls on stony ground. Some of the seed falls on thorny ground. Some of the seed falls on good ground. And he gives us these examples uh, how that the soil is what determines the reception of the seed. That that fell on the wayside was quickly scooped up by the birds. It was hard packed. The seed couldn't get any earth. Uh, that which fell among stony ground, uh, although there was some soft places, uh, the seed couldn't get any root. Uh, and then that that fell among the thorns was choked out. Uh, but then there was seed that fell on the good ground. And the seed that fell on the good ground took root uh, and it grew uh, and it uh, was established uh, because it received the seed. You say, Pastor John, you're going a lot of places. Hang on, I'm getting ready to bring it all together for you. As parents, it is our job to prepare the soil so that when the seed is applied to the hearts of our children, their hearts are soft, their hearts are receptive, their hearts are free of the things of this world that can steal or choke out the Word of God, but their hearts are ready to receive. And why is it important that we prepare the hearts of our children to receive the seed of the Word? The reason it is important is because when I go to that meeting in the air, I'm going to be looking for all of you and 
and I'll be happy to see all of you, but the number one people that I want to see standing at the feet of Jesus with me is my children. So it is of utmost importance that we raise godly children so that we can be ensured that those that are dearest to our heart will spend eternity in heaven with us. What a meeting that will be. And so this morning we'll return to this subject of raising godly people, three, godly children. Three weeks ago when we began looking at this, we talked primarily about two things in regard to raising children. We talked about the authority of God's Word. The fact that this is the best and only reliable resource on raising children. And if the method or practice that you are following is not supported with the Word of God, you may have some success, but you will not have great success. We must accept that the Word of God, written by the Creator of mankind, who gives life to our children, is the best authority on raising children. The second thing we looked at last week is the responsibility of parents to carry out the principles of the Word of God in training their children, that it is our responsibility to make sure these principles are carried out. This week I want to take this message on to the next point, the next step. In our last message we looked at the why of training. Why do we do this? Because it's our responsibility. This week I want to look at uh, how do we do this? We know it's our responsibility, but how do we put it into practice? Uh, the Word of God not only tells us what our responsibility is, uh, but the Word of God also tells us how uh, we are to accomplish this thing uh, of raising godly children. So this morning we're going to return to this message uh, and we're going to be looking at the practical applications uh, and some positive reinforcements uh, that are taught in the Word of God that will equip parents with all the tools necessary for fulfilling our responsibility of raising godly children. We're going to look again at Psalm 128. This is the passage we read uh, three weeks ago. We'll be reading that passage again, and then we'll get into the message. The Bible says in Psalm 128 in verse number 1, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. And thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you have uh, bestowed upon us the privilege and the responsibility, Lord, of raising the next generation. And Father, whatever uh, avenue we have, Lord, whether we are the parent, whether we are the grandparent, uh, whether we are a friend of the family, Father, however we are related and associated with children, Father, I pray that you will help us to be people that understand the importance uh, of investing in the next generation 
that we understand the importance of guarding the hearts of children. We understand the importance, oh Lord, of seeing children turn to you for salvation. And Father, I pray as we look at these practical applications of how we are to apply the principles of the Word of God, I pray, dear Lord, that we will take note of them, that we will receive the truth of your Word. Father, that we will be instructed. Lord, if necessary, we will be corrected. And Father, Lord, that we will become the people, the church that you desire us to be in regards to investing in the next generation of young people that you have entrusted to our care. Thank you, dear Lord, for this goodness, for your goodness blesses throughout this service. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Here in Psalm 128, we see a three-step process uh, that results in a home and family that will bring uh, happiness uh, and satisfaction. You do know that that is the Lord's will, uh, that your home be your haven, uh, that your home be the place where you find happiness, uh, that your home be the place where you find peace, uh, that your home be the place uh, where you are satisfied to dwell. That is God's design for the family. And if your family is not, that way, it's a good chance that you have not applied the principles of the Word of God. And he gives us a three steps here, three very simple, very basic steps that will result in the home being what God has designed it to be. We see first of all that we are to fear the Lord. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. The first step to a happy home is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is understanding the sovereignty of God and submitting to His authority with reverence, respect, and an awareness of his his ability to judge those that reject him. That is the fear of the Lord. Fear is understanding that God is in charge and because he is in charge, I respect him, I reverence him, and I understand if I disobey him, he is perfectly just in divvying out whatever judgment he feels necessary to bring me back into line. Whenever I understand that about God, it should affect the way that I live. The first step to a happy home is a home that fears the Lord. The second step to a happy home is a home that walks in His way. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in His way. Not only do I fear the Lord, understand who He is and what right and control and power He has over me, but because of that, I look into His Word, I understand what His Word says, and I apply His Word to my life, and I walk and live according to the Word of God. Many times you will find that conflict in the home is the result of outside influences that come in and affect the home. But the Word of God, if it is followed, will result in a happy and a joyous home. You may not have everything that the world offers. You may not partake in everything that the world says is important. But you will have a home that brings happiness and satisfaction if you fear the Lord and if you walk in His ways. And then we see thirdly, the third step. If you fear the Lord and you walk in His way, there will be a blessed result. It will be a result of a home. That is happy. We see it described here in Psalm 128. Thy wife, or excuse me, thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be. You're going to eat the labor of your hands and the labor that he has talked about here is fearing the Lord and walking in his way. If you do this, if this is your labor, fearing the Lord and walking in his ways, he says, happy shalt thou be. 
You know what? People spend their entire life seeking for happiness. This applies not only to the home, but this applies to our personal life. People spend their entire life seeking for happiness. They are seeking for something that can bring joy to them. They seek for something that can bring peace to them. They spend their whole life looking for happiness when the answer is right here in the Word of God. He that feareth the Lord and walketh in his way happy shall he be. Happiness is guaranteed to all that walk in the way of the Lord. But today we're applying this, as the Lord did here in this psalm, to the home. He said in verse number 3, Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine, thy children like olive plants. It will be a blessed home that fears the Lord and walks in his way. You can argue all day about your opinions, but at the end of the day, the home that is happy is a home that fears the Lord and walks in His way. So this morning, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to look at some practical applications that are taught in the Word of God. Some biblical principles for raising godly children that will result in a home that is a happy place to dwell. Now, I'm not going to guarantee, I'm not saying that this guarantees that you will have perfect children who never misbehave, uh, who never uh, behave incorrectly, uh, who never um, cause any problems, who never cry. No, that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about a home where you can find peace and happiness and satisfaction that is raising children that are growing and developing and maturing in the character of the Lord. So we're going to look at some practical applications. Whenever we look into the Word of God concerning raising children, we find out that the Lord did not leave us without instruction. The Lord is very clear about how we are to raise children. Uh, he provides plenty of clear guidelines regarding uh, how parents can effectively and successfully train their children. The Word of God teaches three methods of training children that are all necessary and they are all beneficial to the development of the child. We're going to look at all three of these this morning and none of them are effective alone. There are three methods of training that the Bible teaches that are all important and all of them must be used together to accomplish what the Bible is teaching us can be accomplished in the development of our children. The first method that we're going to look at actually might get me in trouble because the world as a whole has rejected it. The world says it's ineffective. The world says it's damaging. The world says that it harms children. And the world has rejected it. But the reason the world has rejected it is because there have been people who have misused and abused what the Bible is talking about. They have taken one thing and they have twisted it to their own liking and they have misused it and misapplied it. And they have, they have indeed damaged children. They have indeed left men and physical scars on children because they have misused this. But just because someone has misused it uh, doesn't mean it's ineffective when it is used the Bible way. And the first practical application that we find in the Word of God concerning training children is the use of the rod. The use of the rod. Or if we could put it in Virginia terms, a good old-fashioned spanking. That's the first method that the Bible teaches as being a practical means of raising children. As I've said, because there have been parents who did not take seriously their role as a parent, they didn't understand that 
Although they were over the home, they were still under God. And they seen themselves as some type of an invincible monarch who could bend the rules any way they wanted. And they used these passages of Scripture that we're going to look at in a minute as a license to mistreat their children. This thing of using the rod has been terribly misused. But the Bible teaches us some things about using the rod. And the Bible teaches us that if we're going to have successful parenting, that the rod is a necessary part of the training. Whenever we remember that the Word of God is the authority on training children, then we understand that if the use of the rod is not giving the results that the Bible says it will give, the error is with the person using or not using the rod correctly, not the Word of God saying that it is effective. So we're simply going to look at what the Bible says concerning using the rod. The Bible, specifically the book of Proverbs, is full of instruction on the importance of the rod in raising and training children. Proverbs 13, verse number 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13 to 14 says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shall deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs 29, verse number 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. The Word of God, as we can see, is full of instruction that says the rod is a necessary part of raising children. However, despite the clear instruction found in the Word of God concerning the importance of the rod, it is frowned upon and even considered inappropriate by many parents and counselors. I will not be surprised. I don't know which one of you it is. Maybe it's somebody online. I will not be surprised if somebody doesn't try to pull me aside and talk to me about this after preaching this message because I've definitely had that happen before. pull me aside and tell me that this is outdated, it don't work, and I shouldn't be preaching it. But the Bible's full of it. And so we definitely want to look at what the Bible has to say. And I believe the reason that it's looked down upon, as I've stated before, is because of people who have misused this principle. And since it has been so misused, I don't mean to spend the entire message on the rod, but because it has been so misused, I think if we're going to say that it is important and it is something that God asked for, that it's also important that we take a few minutes and see how it is to be biblically administered. And we could definitely spend weeks on this study, so I'm going to do my best to go through this quickly and just show you how the Bible says it to be administered and we can get more in-depth at another time. But whenever we look at the rod, we see that first of all the Bible teaches that the rod must be used in love. The rod must be used in love. The Bible says in Revelation 3.19, speaking of the Lord, and which has how the Lord chastens us should be our example in how we chasten our children. In Revelation 3.19, speaking of how the Lord chastens His children, He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. In Proverbs 3.12, the Bible says, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Hebrews 12.6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son who he receiveth. So what we see here is the rod is something that is administered in love. In other words, as said there in Proverbs, the father administers the rod on the son because he delights in the 
son. He doesn't administer the rod because he is angry with the son. He doesn't administer the rod because he dislikes the son. No, he administers the rod in love. He administers the rod for the benefit of the child. Not only should the rod be used in love, but the rod must be used with authority. Hebrews 13, 17 speaks of the reason that children need to submit to their parents and in this it covers the authority of the parent. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Whenever you use the rod, not only is it to be used in love, but the rod is to be used in authority. You are in charge of the child and so there must be a firmness when you use the rod. Discipline establishes you as the authority in the child's life. It also, you are established by God as the authority in the child's well-being. And whenever you administer the rod, it must be administered with love, but the child must also understand that God has put me in a position of authority over you. There is coming a day when I am going to stand before God and I am going to give account to God for how you turned out. Therefore, this is not negotiable. This is not something that we can get around. This is something that God has required of me. This is something that God has told me to do. Therefore, this is something that must be done. We see that when we administer the rod, it must be done in love, but it must be done in authority. There are some parents who try to use spanking, but they go in all love. And it's not effective. There are others who approach spanking in all firmness. And it's not effective. There has to be a balance. And it is possible, very possible, to be firm yet loving. And we'll look more at this as we go on. The rod not only should it be ministered with love, not only should it be ministered with authority, but the rod must be administered with self-control. If you are out of control, this is no time to be disciplining your children. It might be time to discipline yourself, but it is not time to be disciplining your children. You should only administer the rod when you are in full control of yourself, when you can talk in a level tone, when you can communicate what is going on. You must be in control. You say, well, where do you get Bible for that? The Bible tells us in Proverbs 25 and verse number 28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. He that is out of control is in no condition to be instructing or guiding someone else. Proverbs 16 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Proverbs 22 24 Make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Whenever you administer the rod, it must be administered in self-control. I've seen many parents, and you may have seen this as well, who they'll say, no, 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 I'm going to count to three. One, two, two and a half. No, no. And finally the parent can't take it any longer. And they jump out of their seat in a rage grab the kid by the arm and begin beating them in circles because why? Because dad has lost control. You have just completely misused the word of God and there is not a scripture in the Bible that supports your actions. That is not how you're to apply the rod. 
Oh no, the rod is something that is to be done in self-control. Not only that, the rod must be accompanied with clear communication. Clear communication. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearers. Boy, I'm telling you, some of the things that I have heard parents say to their children just before they receive a spanking, I'm like, you have no right having children. You begin calling them names. You begin degrading their character. You begin throwing question on their ancestors. You begin telling them that they're never going to amount to anything. You begin to say all kinds of, of, of terrible things that tear down the character of a child before you administer the spank. And you have no right being a parent. There needs to be clear communication. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. What's supposed to come out of your mouth is what is good for edification. That means, and this is something that I would often tell my children, I would say, now look, here is something that we need to work on. Here is something, uh, you've been misbehaving, here is something we need to work on. Now, I want to let you know, that me bringing this up does not mean that you are a bad person. It does not mean that you are a failure in life. As a matter of fact, you are a diamond. And I am very lucky that God allowed me to be your parent. You are a diamond. But your diamond is in the rough. And God gave me the responsibility of making sure that when you become an adult, you shine the best that you can possibly shine. And there's a rough spot that we got to buff off. Now, I'm not saying that that's perfect. That's some pretty country reasoning. But that is speech that is edifying. The child understands, I'm not tearing their character down, but I'm trying to improve the child. Trying to improve the child. It must be accompanied with clear communication. Proverbs 25, verse 11 and 12 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. As an earring of gold, an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. You know, whenever we were talking about the home a few weeks ago and we were talking about marriage and we were talking about how we can speak kindly to all kinds of people, but then when it comes to our spouse, we just spew venom out. Uh, you know what? A lot of times we do the same thing with our children, but the Bible says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. It must be accompanied with clear communication. Now let me just say before I go on, I'm trying to hurry, I promise. But this communication should include reason for discipline. It should include the extent of the discipline. It should include guidelines for them while they're receiving the discipline. And it should also let them know what the repercussions will be if they resist the discipline. But let me also say that this communication should be age-appropriate. If I'm dealing with a two-year-old who will not leave the pitcher alone on the coffee table, then this communication can be as clear as, don't touch the pitcher. If you touch the pitcher, I'm going to spank your hand. When they touch the pitcher, I spank their hand. We have communicated. I don't need to sit down and have an hour-long dialogue explaining why it's wrong to touch the pitcher. It really don't matter why it's wrong to touch the pitcher. It's mine, and I don't want them to touch it. That's all that really has to matter right now. So there don't need to be an hour-long dialogue. We don't need to break this down. Uh, this is not a time when I need to explain sin and deception. And No, no, no. We're talking about a two-year-old. The communication is don't touch the pitcher. If you do touch the pitcher, I'll smack your hand. They touch the pitcher, you smack the hand. You may have 
have to do it 20 times if you've got a good, strong-willed kid, but that's all the communication. Daddy said, don't touch the pitcher. You touch it again, I'm going to smack your hand again. You're like, my goodness, I don't have time to sit there for an hour of smacking their hand over and over and explaining over and over. Well, you're going to have a long, miserable life because that rebellion is going to stay in them when they get older and when they get too big for you to handle and you're just going to still have to deal with it. Much better to work with them when they're at two. So clear communication. However, when your child gets older, sometimes it is necessary to explain. Looky here. Here's why this is wrong. This is how this ties in with the Word of God. This is why this is important. And hopefully, hopefully, you're not still dealing with getting touching things on the coffee table at five and six and seven years old. You've moved past that, and now you can move on to the bigger things. Clear communication. Clear communication. It should be age and offense appropriate. Also, I'm just going to interject this here. This isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to interject it. Parental training and using the rod done correctly. Now, I know that there's some real strong-willed kids out there, and I know that there are exceptions to the rule. But done correctly, the majority of the spanking pretty much should be finished by the time they're six or eight years old. I mean, we should pretty much have the basics done. We have figured out that when dad says no, it means no. We figured when mom says stop, that means stop. We figured out. And so at that point, the majority of the spanking ought to be finished. And the children ought to be to a point where you can instruct and guide them verbally. Now, outside of an unusual situation, you know, you might have a boy that's pretty good and trained by the time he's eight years old and he's responding and listening and behaving pretty good. And then he gets with some other buddies and 10 and 11-year-old boys can get in all kind of trouble, and you don't find out that they spray-painted the mayor's car, you may have to spank him again. But this is going to be some unusual situations. Uh, uh, but what I'm saying is the bulk of it ought to be done early on. You shouldn't be having to beat your kids when they're 14, 15, 16-year-old. Matter of fact, if you're still having to beat them at a regular basis at that point, you, you done lost the battle, brother. This is stuff that needs to be done when they are small. Use of the rod should be approached for the ultimate benefit of the child, never for the gratification of the parent. Use of the rod should always be approached for the benefit of the child, never for the gratification of the parent. If spanking the child helps you, whew, then yeah, that was wrong. It should always be for the benefit of the child. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through strife, or vainglory. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11, speaking of how the Lord chastens us, he starts off speaking of how uh, parents have uh, disciplined children for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. And what that means is where they thought was necessary. But he, speaking of the Lord, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So we need to make sure that when we're applying the rod, that is for the benefit of the child, not for the gratification of the parent. You say, well, Pastor John, what about other forms of discipline? What about timeouts? What about taking their toys? What about, what about all these other things, putting their nose on the wall, making them sit in the corner? Oh, what about all these? Well, I'll, I'll just share with you a couple things. First of all, any discipline 
that you are consistent with, and we'll be looking at consistency probably next week, any discipline you are consistent with can be effective. So first of all, realize the most important key to discipline is that you are consistent. If they get their nose put on the wall for being too loud today, but tomorrow you scream with them, you're not getting anything accomplished here. Okay, so you've got to be consistent in your application. So any discipline can be somewhat effective if you're consistent. However, the Bible's the authority. God is our example. Whenever it's talking about discipline, the Bible nowhere talks about timeouts. The Bible nowhere talks about taking things away. The Bible nowhere describes how all that's to take place, and neither do we see God doing that to us as our example. What do we see taught in the Word of God? The rod. And I think that the rod is the most effective, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. And I did not mean to use the whole sermon this morning on the rod. I hope it's a blessing to y'all. But I'll give you a couple of reasons why. If a child misbehaves, at that point, the relationship between parent and child is broken. Things are out of sorts in the home. I am not effective as a parent when the relationship is broken. Okay? I need to restore the relationship so that I can once again be effective in leading and directing and instructing my child. But they have misbehaved. The relationship is broken. Most likely, they are upset with me, and there's a good chance that I'm a little irritated at them. Our relationship is broken. If I send them to time out, you just go to your room. I'll let you know when your time is up. Off they go to their room. You know what they're doing while they're sitting in the room? Now, you might tell them, think about what you've done wrong, but they ain't thinking about that. They're thinking about what a mean, unfair parent they have. And they are sitting in there brewing and fuming and thinking every mean, hateful thing they can about you. And you know what also is still in place? That relationship's broken. You can't talk to them right now. They're not going to listen to you right now. You have lost all effectiveness right now as they sit in there and brew at you. Finally, you come and say, all right, you can come out now. And they're pretty sure, now whether you did or not, you know, but they're pretty sure that you forgot about them. And you went and read a book or scrolled your phone or worked in the garden or whatever and forgot about them, and when you remembered them, you came back. And so that just makes them even more angry. Whether you did or not, they'll never know, but they will definitely think that you did so. So not only has the relationship been broken for an extended period of time, not only have they uh, increased in their anger towards you, but now they're bitter at you for what you've done. So in regards of what punishment is or discipline is supposed to accomplish, you, you miss the boat. Because now you have a child who is angry and bitter, and, and, so, and the relationship's still broken. There still has to be a restoration. And when you say, okay, you can come out now, they come out angrily, and you still don't talk. And many times, it'll take days before you get that relationship fixed. The same thing with taking away privileges or taking away uh, belongings. It just breeds bitterness in the heart of the child. However, the Bible says to apply the rod. So how does that work? Child misbehaves. 
whenever it's appropriate. You know, according to where the misbehavior takes place, whenever it's appropriate, if you can do it immediately, if you have to wait a little while, you take them aside and say, look, you misbehaved. Here's what you did. Here's the punishment you're going to get. Because you did that, I'm going to give you a spanking. Explain to them what the spanking will consist of. Explain to them how they are to receive it. Explain to them the repercussions. If they don't receive it correctly, give them the spanking and then say, as soon as the spanking's done, as soon as it's done, pull them up in your arms, give them a hug, Tell them I love you. Tell them that little line about a diamond in the rough if you like that or think up your own if you like something else better. Tell them that it don't mean they're a bad kid. It don't mean that they're a failure. But as a father, it's your responsibility to make sure they turn out right. Love up on that child and love up on them. And when they walk out of the bedroom, this whole thing has lasted five minutes. If it's a bad case, ten minutes. They walk out of the bedroom. Your relationship is restored. The problem has been dealt with and the child can go on in security. The Bible way works. The Bible way works. Uh, I, I once heard a story of a father who his, uh, his daughter had been misbehaving. She was a, a preteen and she'd been misbehaving. Uh, and so she had a brand new bedroom suit. She's super proud of her bedroom suit. He said, if you keep misbehaving, I'm going to burn your bedroom suit. She continued misbehaving. He carried all the furniture out in the backyard and he burnt all the furniture in the backyard. Blankets, bed, burn it all and made her sleep on the floor to prove his point. Well, number one, she's bitter. She's angry. But also, as a parent, it's my responsibility to provide for my children. And when he took her bed... He failed as a parent. It was his responsibility to make sure that girl did have a bed. You should never ever drag punishment out to the point that you begin taking away what God has required you to give your children. I might be simple-minded, but the rod applied correctly is the most effective, the least damaging, and the most family-friendly method of training children that exists. Use the rod. God said it worked. But when you use the rod, use it in love. Make sure you communicate clearly. Make sure you are in self-control. Make sure that they understand why. And use the rod. You use it correctly, and you will see that you will go miles ahead in raising your children. There's two more methods of training found in the Word of God, and then we have some positive reinforcement. I told you all a couple weeks ago, I get on this and I just talk too much. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I believe it's important, and I believe we understand what the Bible teaches. And I know that you say, Pastor John, this thing about the rod really don't apply to me. You really just wasted my Sunday. I apologize. But I think it's important that we understand as a church what the Bible says. The world is attacking the principles of the Word of God. And I'm sure, although we may not want to admit it, that some of the agenda that the world has pushed in regards to raising children has made us question our methods. It's good to look and see what the Bible teaches. We can apply it to our children. We can teach our children to apply it to the grandchildren. We know when folks come and ask us, we can say, look, this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible also tells us that as we discipline our children, it's the same way that God chastens us. And as children of God, we need to understand that when He disciplines us, He does it for our benefit. And whenever God is moving in your life and God is correcting you for something that is going on in your life, the best thing you can do is respond to the correction because you know what? 
You are a diamond in the rough. And God is wanting to polish you so that you can be the best Christian you can possibly be. Receive that instruction.